Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you're a fan of heavy metal, extreme music, and all the genres in between, this is for you. You can find us every week on every streaming platform known to man, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Subscribe and never miss out. This week, I'd like to welcome my friend Sarah Timms to the Metal Matters Podcast. If you've been listening to my Gimme Radio show, The Sacred and Profane, you might have caught some of her other bands. She has Black Mare, which is a solo project, also Ides of Gemini, which also features another good friend of mine, the renowned metal journalist Jay Bennett. She has a brand new project called Luxury that just released a video on Revolver. We talk about that, we talk about the occult, we talk about consciousness, we talk about the fear of AI and possible dystopian futures. All in all, it's a pretty cool episode. I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening for these last few months. Really appreciate it. I'm having a lot of fun doing this show, and I hope you guys are too. So now I won't waste any more time, and we'll get into it. Sarah and I spoke over the phone early, one Saturday morning, particularly early for her, because uh, she's on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. Nonetheless, we made it happen. You know, I just realized that um, you're the first woman to be on the Metal Matters podcast. That's it. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's been uh, a dude fest since uh, day one. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm really good at existing in the center of dude fest. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Um, <laughs> I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but it's not by design. Like I didn't, um, you know, I didn't set out to like, oh, let me have Sarah on to be the first lady on the show. It's just that right. you know, you've uh, I've always been a fan of your output creatively, and um, I thought yeah. it'd be a, a very natural guest to have have you on. So great. I hope I hope man with the guys. So recently, you have a new project and video that uh, premiered on the Revolver site. And, um, so, I mean, you have a, a a lot of work out there and it's all very high quality and this new thing is a little bit different. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I was, so the last two years has been pretty, like, I've been in deep, like transitional mode, um, kind of not having any idea where I'm going or what's next. Um, and I was asked to do a performance for this thing called the Secret Sisterhood, which is um, a, a woman who gathers a bunch of different women. Like, I think it's seven to ten women um, who are usually they're like writers, comedians, actors, musicians. She has one, one musician do a performance um, at the Masonic Lodge in Hollywood, um, once a month. I don't know if they're still doing it anymore. They were doing it in New York too for a little while. But um, I was invited to do a performance and they're all based on the, the moon cycles. And mm-hmm. so um, it was a full moon in Scorpio. And at that time I had an idea that I wanted to push Black Mirror and an elect- Black Mirror, my solo project, um, in a more electronic direction because Black Mirror is something I started as a solo project, and then you know I, I wanted it to sound like a band though. Right. So uh, so I always like I would use 
real real drum samples when I was programming drums and then get a live drummer to play what I programmed. So basically I kind of made a band on, on the computer and then would get a band to play live with me. Um, but I came, I came to a point where I was like, why am I making so much work for myself? You know, why don't, why don't I just actually make, make it more of a solo project um, and not have to get a whole band to do everything um, in the live situation. Mm-hmm. And so at this, uh, ritual for the Scorpio, I think it's Scorpio New Moon. Um, I decided to do to perform the first song I ever written, you know, to re- represent the birth of Black Mare, and also the death of the old version of Black Mare that I was saying goodbye to, mm-hmm. and then to write an electronic song uh, of Black Mare, which would be like the new birth of Scorpio's, you know, life, death rebirth cycle Mm -hmm. and so um that's where i wrote this electronic song uh that actually months later i realized that it wasn't even black mare but that it was a whole different project because it just was too far away from black mare it was like a whole nother kind of um musical identity that was coming out um and so then it became very clear to me that that was that was luxury and a kind of um archetypal framework was intuitively built around that um and you know black mare and a lot all the projects i've been in have been about um really i feel like the energy around them is um being in a very dark but transcendent place like the void essentially but it's all kind of like dark understanding that there's light but kind of being surrounded in dark Right. Um, and and lunar energies, um, and then luxury uh, is more like this expression of solar energy, uh, Christ consciousness. More of a, um, I don't want to say male or female, but but it is kind of like a male archetypal role. Even though, like the face of luxury is this um, very feminine force. Right. There's well, you mentioned you mentioned solar energy, and you know, typically the moon is a female sort of archetype and the, the sun is like a male archetype you know so it's yeah yeah exactly um and so you know of the singer the singer archetype that goes with um luxury her name is aurora dawn and so she's she's sort of like this new dawn this new sunburst and it, it goes along with my own personal evolution which is you know uh, working on incarnating, you know, Christ consciousness within myself, which is, of course, you know all about, about all of this, but it's the solar consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, with luxury, there's actually this, um, in, in my mind, it's sort of the alchemical marriage of the masculine and feminine, because I've got this, this male character within me in luxury that I call Ray, and he's sort of like the Ray of the sun, that illuminates the feminine archetype, which is Aurora Dawn, um, who is like a, a woman who's kind of integrated both the sun and moon. Um, so that's why it became sort of its own separate project. Um, and it's also integrating um, the machine and future kind of technologies and ideas, uh, whereas a lot of my previous stuff, I Gemini and Black Mare has been much from 
the well of antiquity. Um, yeah, I was actually going to comment on that because, um, yeah, the, uh, you know, luxury has like a very modern, like looking forward vibe to it. And, uh, and like I was going to say, the other, the other material, Black Mare, uh, definitely looks more to, into like antiquity and uses these sort of ar archaic, um, you know, sort of ideas, like visually at least, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think that, um, so like for a long time, well, I, I grew up very kind of like techie. That's sort of just my mind, which I'm an eye and my, my brain likes technology a lot. And I use so much technology in Black Mare, even though I try and make it all sound old. You know, it's mm -hmm. all made on computers. So it's very actually technology masked as something old to be like in the cave, you know, the archetypal cave. Um, but I spent a good, you know, 10, 10 15 years of uh, my musical life in, I consider almost um, like in the tomb, like exploring the tomb, essentially, of of what we were, what humans were, where we came from, trying to understand like what we are and, and how we got to where we are now. And also for a while, uh, for a good like seven to 10 years, I decided I wanted to kind of reject technology a bit because I didn't like where it was taking uh, humanity. Um, and now I sort of flipped around on that and decided that I don't want to it. I want to um, try to integrate it into my own psyche and try to infuse the technological framework in our society with, like, you know, awareness and, and consciousness. And so luxury is also about that. What, what are some of the things about technology that you thought were negatively affecting our society? Um, so, you know, if you look at, like, the, the idea of AI, um, and you look at how much things are being automated, um, it's kind of scary to me because, um, you know, even if AI doesn't actually happen, there is, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like machine intelligence mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and so that's, that's of course, going to become, that's already very, like, like weaponized, you know? Right. Um, and so that sort of thing where we already like, you know, governments are already using, already using the technology to more easily, you know, go and, and kill people in war tactics. You know, and drones wipe and out villages. Yeah. yeah, and there, people are just looking at a screen while they're uh, dropping bombs, which is, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty scary. Um, and then also, uh, like I was listening to something yesterday, it was uh, Douglas Rushkoff, um, and he was talking about how um, he was talking about the idea of the algorithms of technology and how technology is supposed to be something that serves humanity, but now the algorithms um, are being used by corporate culture to uh, control humanity, and so essentially, and it's not for the good of humanity, you know, it's for capital, it's all just for to make, to make profit and to control uh, behavior via our phones algorithms and, you know, our little alerts and the advertisements were shown and all that stuff. Um, and so it essentially ends up where the technology is something that's training us more than we're training the technology. Um, and that's where you sort of lose your autonomy 
um, as a force uh, as a force of creation in the world, uh, and you become a slave to your own creation. Um, and so that's really the thing that that scares me about technology. But I think it's important to look at that and not think, you know, don't resist the change. Right? It's it's impossible to resist change in society. And if you do, you're going to be an escapist and you're not going to be able to affect it and be like a co-creator of your reality. Um, and so now I'm in a place where I'm much more interested in, in rejoining the force of creation uh, of the modern world and looking at like how we're moving into the future as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, there's a lot of different theories about AI and, you know, there's this doomsday sort of dystopian enslavement of humanity or extermination of humanity by some consciousness that's going to come out of all this, you know, AI. And I mean, is that something that you are, are afraid of as well? I mean, I, that kind of crosses my mind that we're going to end up in the Terminator, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I absolutely think, you know, in the, I almost, you know, I think anything is possible. So, um, I think that that is truly a possibility, um, for sure, even though we haven't experienced it yet. I think there's a lot of things we, we think are impossible because we just haven't experienced it yet. So I think that's very possible. Um, and I think that, you know, if that was to happen now, Based on the uses of that we now have for technology, like we're creating a real monster, you know. Um, so absolutely, that that's something scary. Um, I mean, but it's no scarier ultimately than like all the apocalyptic theories, all the like, including the AI one that would wipe out humanity. It's really just like a fear of death. If you break it down, um, it's like your own fear of death, right? Yeah. Of course, because, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, if you get comfortable with that, so that's what I'm working on over the last, you know, several years, is just get comfortable with death, and then none of those things are scary. I think that's part of why I, I went the escapist route from technology for a long time. Like, oh, there's no, it's happening so fast, there's no control over it. But then if you just sit still and think about it for a little while, um, well, we're all going to die at some point, and we could die at any moment, you know. Um, no one, there's no guarantee of living for 10 seconds even. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so once you accept that, well, then the theory of AI and another consciousness, it just becomes interesting, you know. And um, there's always some sort of war going on because I, I think that the, you know, I, I subscribe to the idea that the uh, reality that we live in of this form is all created by our consciousness mm-hmm. uh, and our awareness. So there's always some sort of war going on or some sort of threat, you know, if it's, um, if it's a, you know, the threat of the H-bomb or it's the threat of, um, you know, AI. It's always, there's always been something for as long as humanity has been conscious, you know. One of the things um, about AI that, that I, I think about sometimes is, um, I mean, you know, I'm quite fond of cats. You know, I love cats. I have a cat. Uh, and, yeah. And, um, you know, they're small and they're, they can't really, they don't really pose a threat to you because they're so much smaller. They're like a fraction right. of your size. Right. However, yeah. they have the mentality of a total predator. They're killers. Yeah, you know, sure. they're like these little murderers that live in your house. 
Absolutely. And if my cat was only, say, if my cat was 20 pounds, I would be terrified of that. That cat would kill me. It would rip me to shreds if it was hungry. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I guess, like, one of the things is um, is instinct and logic. And, you know, things like morals and reason are things that humans project on things. You know, like, we project all these ideas on these on our pets, our animals and whatnot. You know, oh, you yeah. know, this is fluffy, my cat. You would never hurt me. But if that cat was hungry and it was the two of you, you're definitely going to become dinner for that cat if he could take you out. Right. So right. Th- the thing with AI, it's like if, and it's a big if, among, amongst all of these electronics and algorithms and whatnot, that consciousness does arise from this soup of technology, um, it's unlikely that there would be this abstraction of morality and, you know, like projected on the, on, you know, overlaid on that. And that <clears throat> humanity, <clears throat> if you look at the way, you know, it's destroying the planet and, you know, altering the, you know, the environment and all these sort of things, that something that is far superior to us would find a way to possibly either get rid of us or have us do its bidding in some way. You know what I mean? I get, right. And I guess that's where, like, the Cyberdyne systems... Terminator, Matrix, Dystopia, sort of, that idea probably comes from that, you know, that realization. I don't know, scary. (laughs) It's so scary. I totally, I agree with you because, I mean, I think of it like, I think of it in terms of, it's like with AI, if if we really do create another consciousness, I feel like we're we're creating our twin, essentially. We're creating a twin right of humanity because it's all based on machines to do things better than we do essentially is why we even started creating mechanizing things and creating technology and so i feel like with that said like the most this again this goes back to like my whole intent and idea behind luxury so if we we are creating a, a consciousness based on technology out of our needs to control and dominate the resources on Earth at the expense of human good. Well, then, yeah, you know what? We're creating, we're probably creating a horrific enemy um, in this in this AI consciousness mm-hmm. right. that, that made them. And so I think that it's incredibly important, you know, for the survival of humanity even if we don't create AI, it's incredibly important to do this, but that's just like AI, the, the idea of AI and blooming consciousness is yet another idea to absolutely amend society and to expand our consciousness immediately, ASAP, you know, um, to realize the interconnectivity of all things and um, the energy which runs through us all which also will be connected to that consciousness of the AI. However, right now, if we're creating an AI all based on form and the governing of form, there's no, there's no, it's like we're connect. It's like we're creating an ego AI right now. Yeah, you know? actually, that's true. Yeah, was, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're creating like this, this like ego twin of humanity. You know, if you look back at like, you know, pre, pre-agriculture, um, it was like matriarchal times before the patriarchy. Um, 
And there's some evidence that, you know, that the patriarchy to some degree abused their power as creators. You know, when it, when it first started, a lot of the, the evidence that they figured out, I mean, who really knows? But a lot of the theories say that, like, you know, before science, like, they didn't realize that it didn't, it, uh, that males were needed for creation, for instance. Um, back in the day when the Venus figures were made, you know, the, the large Venus figures that were found in the caves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the women apparently, you know, had all of the power at that time. And so it kind of makes sense, you know, if the women had all of the power, that it would shift to men having all the power, like where it is now. Um, and so now I think we're in this, we're in kind of like a really dangerous, but potentially exciting transitional time where, you know, the, the patriarchy has really has really taken the method of uh, domination and extraction, ruthless extraction from the earth um, with oil and all that stuff. Um, as far as it can, we're kind of we're hitting a wall with that. As far as longevity goes, you know, scientifically speaking, and um, now the the feminine needs to come in. And there's a lot of uh, I think I think we as women have to be really careful because. What we should not do is uh, have this angry upheaval, which a lot of a lot of uh, you know groups and forces of women are doing. Which I understand, and it's good to to get things out into the open, like a plant bursting forth. You know, it's sure. always a child being born, and there's always a little bit of violence with it. But um, I feel like once the statement's been made, like, "Hey, we're here, we're powerful." We're coming back. We're coming to take our power. Okay, let's make the statement. Now let's try and see what we can do with the foundation that's already there. Let's try and build our structure of whatever feminine wisdom there is and feminine archetype, feminine architecture. Um, let's try and flow it into the patriarchal structure. So, like, if you look at the patriarchal structure, it's very much like mathematical logic, boxes, you know, all of this stuff, very clear hierarchical arrangements. And then uh, feminine architecture can be more organic and flowing. So it's almost like let's put some rivers uh, in between all the boxes, you know, mm-hmm. let's... Yeah the structure that there is with something clear, new, refreshing, organic, all that stuff. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit more about uh, the music. Um, yeah, you know, cause there's, there's a whole, obviously a whole uh, sort of vista of stuff we can talk about with luxury. Now you have this one track and this one video that yeah. premiered uh, recently on Revolver. Right. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that there's going to be more material surfacing at some point. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting, and this is like a, a very modern way of people re- to release music, is that it's almost like the old school like R&B sort of world where a single would come out. You'd have these singles that ju- would just appear. Right. And you know now yeah. it would, they'd be coupled with videos, and it's like a very uh, bite-sized presentation of people's music now. And a lot of people have done right. that. I know, you know, Gavin from Burn has a new project, and he's been kind of doing a very similar thing where he'll drop a song here and there, and there's a video, but there isn't like, you know, an LP or anything available. Um, you know, right. Is that some sort of approach that you've been adopting for this project? 
I I went kind of back to the the river idea. I went very. Um, it's been very organic, aside from the actual creation of the art, um, which has all been um, very digital. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I I I had this one song, and um, I was living with um, a girlfriend. And next to another girlfriend, uh, Netta Afsari, who is um, a photographer and videographer. And they had this plan. We we were just like these friends, basically, who were all hanging out together a lot. And they had a a plan to go to the Madonna Inn and do some photos. Um, And I was like, well, I have this song. Maybe we should do a video. And Mm -hmm. they were both like, yeah, let's do it. Um, And so we just decided to create it, not knowing exactly what we would do with it, but I came to think of it as um, planting a seed um, because I knew that I wasn't going to be ready to release an album for a while, but there was just something in me that wanted to get the seed of of luxury um, planted in the world. Um, And so I just decided to do a one-off and then I was like, well, like, you know, it's kind of cool to release something where you don't actually have anything really to sell behind it. You're just just doing it because you love it. It's very... uh, it's very unusual. Um, usually there's a whole plan but behind, you know, it's behind a tour, it's yeah. behind uh, an album. And it's all very practical because, you, you know, you do need to make money as a musician. But at this point, you know, luxury is, is brand new and doesn't necessarily need to make money. Um, and so I just thought it would be a nice thing to plant into the world. And, and um, I tend to work on multiple different projects at a time. Um, and I do best when I have deadlines and as long as, as, yeah. And as long as nobody knows about luxury, um, I'm not going to have any deadlines. So I figured that I really needed to get out in the world so that there became a force, um, from the outside world looking back in on me saying, when's there going to be more? And so that would make me, uh, have to do some, some deadlines. How was, um, the response been so far? I mean, I know a lot of people are into it. yeah, yeah. It's been like, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's been universally positive. Good. Really great. Um, which I'm happy about because to me it was like so different. And um, to me it feels a lot lighter than what I've done before. But I, I guess the music is dark enough that the dark the dark music fans still seem to be into it, which is cool. Um question that arose with me is um i know like a lot of artists i mean and this is completely different but king diamond for example i know this is like people yeah. are like all right well, how are you going to connect king diamond to this but you know king diamond <laughs> <laughs> versus like um <clears throat> you know the guy who is king diamond they're two different people almost like there's king right. diamond the idea like the character yeah. and is that yeah. sort of like what's going on with aurora with aurora um and and yourself or is it like oh yeah one oh, aspect oh. of your personality being reflected through that and you know i don't know just something that came to mind yes so yes totally um aurora black mare also is black mare started out more as like me and then kind of evolved more into a, a i realized an aspect of myself and my consciousness you know and which the last part of it was the, the death magic mother, which was, was very extreme part of my psyche in the, the death uh, void. Um, and then um, Aurora Dawn is kind of a, a newly discovered part of me, um, which is she's, 
she's kind of like um, I'm calling her a solar concubine, um, essentially, because she's like she's still got this. You know, there is light in their sun, but she's still got this sort of desire for you. She hasn't achieved unity, but she's all about achieving unity with the solar consciousness. Um, and so there's like this this idea of of push and pull like she she's really into the idea of um are you still there yeah, i'm still here yeah <laughs> okay yeah it's like real uh, quiet you know um she, that's okay um she's really into the idea of um uh, subservient to something greater than her when in reality it is within her um but so there's there's this bondage theme um for her um, but it's really about bondage to herself. Um, so I don't know. I'm still figuring her out. But so do you have more? Do you have more material? Like uh, you know, is there is there stuff already produced that you have, or you know? No, I'm working on I'm working on demos now still, and I've just had of my my mund my mundane life, for lack of a better word, uh, has not allowed me time for the last few months um but actually this weekend i have time so i think i'm going to get back into it and i'm, I'm dealing with like oh, technology changes because i upgraded into a new software so i'm having to learn new technology so i've been procrastinating a little bit on that what uh what are you using now what what program well i'm i'm using i'm using ableton okay yeah um yeah and i which is really really great for making beats because yep, honestly i've done i've done yeah, I've done everything on GarageBand up mm-hmm. until now, um, and so and it's just oh my god, it is so tedious to make beats on GarageBand the way that I do it. Um, so I'm like dragging and dropping drum beats to make to make beats on GarageBand, which is like gonna gonna kill me. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, I'm learning how to make beats on Ableton, which is totally amazing, but it's like completely a whole new framework in your brain. Um, yeah, which is Ableton, kind of exciting. I mean, that's like what a lot of um, you know hip hop and R and B people use. That it's de- really designed for that stuff for making beats. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's great. It's like do you, do you know what you know a lot who used to be in um, in dialect. Um, uh, I don't. Uh-uh. Yeah, he he's a guy who turned actually Cliff from ISIS, the one who was like first politicked about using Ableton. And then oh. a, a lop was the guy who's like, check this out. This is what you can do with beats in Ableton. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is insane. And I'm not a very good drum yeah. programmer. And but it's like yeah. very it's the the sky's the limit with that program. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, that's on that's like well, beats is like such a huge thing for luxury. Like I've been listening to hip hop for like the last two years, like pretty pretty extreme. And um, I've just gotten really into more into the idea of beats than I've gotten really deep in programming beats. But that's really what got me comfortable actually into the more electronic realm, even though I, I love a lot of experimental electronic stuff. But I just got really excited about like I've been excited about hip hop beats and drum programming over the last couple of years. What's some um, of the hip hop artists that you listen to? Oh my god! I listen to a lot of a lot of like the just all of the modern stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I listen to the actually hip hop radio. Oh, okay. So I you know so I'm listening to Drake and like um, J Cole, Kendrick Lamar, Future. Um, I like the 
I like the R&B stuff too, even like Post Malone, um, Travis Scott. Travis Scott's so great. Much. I like Travis Scott a Travis lot. Travis Scott's really, yeah, he's really cool. Um, and then I like the ladies too. I like Cardi B, mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj. I'm into those ones. Uh, and then I'm also into, I, I really just got turned on to, I grew up listening to like Ice Cube and um, uh, Ice Tea, actually, mm-hmm. and the, the Ices. And, um, oh my God, who's the other one? Like the classic, classic. Oh, too short, too short. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those are like, those are like the three, um, kind of hip hop artists that I grew up listening to. Um, and I've just been finally getting into like old hip hop and really learning about it. Um, I'm a little behind, but I was, I've been watching the hip hop evolution. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's a cool series. Yeah, on Netflix, family. which is like, oh my god, totally fascinating, blowing my mind in so many ways. Um, so that's been like a big kind of canon of inspiration for me. One of the things I really like about some of the newer artists, you know, like like Travis Scott, is that there's the the production, like the beats, and then the the sounds. It's like almost this like soundscape that goes on behind the, the behind the music. You know what I mean? And as part, yeah. Of, that supports the you know the vocal parts, and if yeah, I that that I think ahead. is really cool. It's almost like Yesu or like Godflesh or something with like rapping on top of it. You know, I agree. Like I love 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 the production of of modern hip hop. There's something like it's almost like ethereal. You know, mm-hmm. it's like so clean and polished, and there's so much like kind of ambient sound in there. Like just these subtleties. Um, and they do, they do so much with so little, um, as far as what you hear in the final, the final song. With that all said, I would be remiss if I don't make this statement right now, because, you know, I mentioned a lot, I mentioned dialect, I mentioned modern hip hop. I feel that dialect predated that, this style by like 10 years and that, those guys should be getting a check from these dudes, if you ask me, because they're with, with, <laughs> what they were doing in like 2002 is like way earlier. It predates all this stuff. And anyone out there who yeah. wants to check out some really cool, very, very creative hip hop music, uh, t- check out right. Dialect. And that's right. spelt D A L E K. And they're incredible. Yeah. So there you go. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. I haven't listened to Dialect in a long time. Actually, since I started listening to Mo- I listened to Dialect and loved it like 10 years ago. But mm-hmm. then I, I sort of, I go through phases with music. Um, and it was actually Cliff from Isis who brought that to my attention. Yeah. Who brought Dialect to my attention. Yeah, I mean, they, they, um, they've toured together yeah. a number of times, I believe, Isis and Dialect. So, yeah. 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 So I, I think that's true, but I think that, you know, it's a, the story of our time, um, massively rich and famous um, musicians get the credit for something some obscure innovator actually created um, who wasn't as ambitious about becoming rich and famous. Now, one of, one of the things um, that also strikes me about some of the stuff creatively you're doing is, is there's a very strong visual aesthetic to, uh, you know, it's not just the music. There's like an art sort of 
direction that accompanies the music. And do you have a formal background like in any of that, like or in design or, you know, video or yeah. film? Okay. I do. Yeah, yeah. I started. So my, um, before I was a musician, I was, um, I was really into photography. I wanted to actually be a photographer for a living at one point, but then I was, I was too into music actually to commit to that path. Um, so, uh, I went to school for art. I got a degree in art, um, and digital video and, was and photography were my areas of focus. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, once I graduated, I started working in, in graphic design and like the kind of film industry in Hollywood. And I didn't really like that because it, you know, you really have to commit your life to thrive in that area. Um, so I kind of just decided to use it for my own, uh, creative expression, which is what I've been doing since I've been, um, since I've been making music, there's always been a visual side. You know, when I'm working with other musicians, I always describe um, the ideas I want to implement visually mm -hmm. um, as far as the sound goes. Um, it's just kind of the natural zone that I live in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's equally as important to me. If, if it was up to me and I had the, the means to do it, I would make every single every single album would also be a, a film, you know, like, like Pink Floyd's The Wall. It would, all, it would all be that. You know, a number of years ago, there was this band called The Black Heart Procession. Um, you know, from I some, love them. Yeah, they're great. There's, there's um, yeah. a, an actual movie. Uh, I have the DVD of this. It's, um, they self-produced uh, a film which tells the story of that Tropic of Love record that came out. And, ah, uh, that's Oh. Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, you know, done very lo-fi, but it's whoever directed and edited that thing did a great job because it actually does yeah. unfold this narrative and um it's it's all just like friends acting in it, you know, and band members. Right. And, you know, and it has like a video quality to it. You know, there's no dialogue. It's all just the songs right. and then, you know, these visuals that accompany it. And I always thought that was such a great idea. And, you know, this is probably yeah. like 2004 or five when that came out. And um, now I imagine it's probably easier to do that, but, you know, time consuming. Right. Like editing yeah. takes forever, you know? It does. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm considering it with luxury. I mean, for, for all the new songs, my lyrics are always pretty visual too. So it's, it's pretty easy to get visual ideas. Um, what's always, stopped me is perfectionism um from actually doing that you know there's so many opportunities though as far as like you can you can really make things look great even just filming with your iphone for instance these days you just get like a stabilizer you can film a lot of cool things on your own um so i'm considering doing that with luxury i suppose it depends on the time and resources it's, it's back to the flow it depends on what the flow sort of allows um but it's certainly an idea that that i would like to see happen and if not on this first album i'm making then perhaps on the next album yeah i mean it, it totally lends itself to that um are there any particular filmmakers that you draw inspiration from um my first favorite filmmaker and i guess it probably remains um was akira kurosawa okay um and Actually, the first thing I ever saw of his 
was not really one of his films. It was one of his experimental films. It was, it was a collection of shorts called Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all just these sort of dreamscape, very, very little dialogue um, that he made um, as a more experimental thing. Um, let's be here. I'm on the spot here. I haven't been watching film for like the last two years. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not in that frame of mind, but, um, I grew up watching David Lynch. Of course. I love Kubrick. I love the classics. Um, let me think about that. And there's gotta, I know there's a lot more that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, oh, I was shown, uh, you know, I do like experimental filmmakers like Maya Darren. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Her work at all. Yeah. Um, she's really great. Um, who else? Hmm. What's that's all that's coming at the top of Oh Wong Kar Wai is really oh, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh Hong yeah, Kong he, Bank was it Hong Kong Express was a film I saw uh by Wong Kar Wai. I believe he did that. That was like back in like the nineties or something. Yeah, totally. Um and then there was this oh there was a woman, I forget her name. Um she did a few movies. Two of them were, one of them was called The Headless Woman. One was called, um, um, one was called, uh, it's the name of where I used to live. It's not, it's not La Brea. It's like the name of a street. Anyway, this woman who directed um, The Headless Woman, she's, she's Latin. I don't know. I can't even talk about it because I don't remember enough. (laughs) (laughs) But um, she remains influential in my psyche. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just this energy out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's so many more. I'm just not thinking of them right now. Um, With Black Mare. Um, that's something that you're still, you're always going to be doing that, right? Because it is basically a, a yeah. solo project, right? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so so Black Mare is, you know, that's me. It's a huge part of, of who I am. Um, it's kind of, I feel like the Black Mare is in a little bit of hibernation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, all I'm doing with Black Mare, I, I disbanded my, um, the, van, the band, the live band for, um, for various, reasons um and so but again that was something that was you know the the live band they were wonderful bless them all for for helping me they they did a really great job um and it will come back as a a live band at some point but the last incarnation of it uh is done and they weren't they weren't creators you know they were just playing what was already written um and so that felt like it kind of reached its end. Um, and the creative flow is going towards luxury right now. So with Black Mare, I have an acoustic set that I wrote um, that they're very Black Mare songs, but they're just in very kind of simple acoustic format right now. Um, so I'm just doing sparse acoustic shows here and there with Black Mare. How is that um, actually? That's something I've always wondered about is performing acoustically by yourself how how is that exactly it's like it's very humbling because i'm actually i'm not a very good guitar player like i can i can get around the guitar and i can write on it and be creative with it but again that's another thing i rely a lot on technology for Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so with the acoustic, you can't, I, I did it. I like to do things that are challenges to myself so I don't get bored or stuck. Um, and so actually I have a twin sister and she was very inspirational to me in getting me to really like sit down and really learn how to play a few songs on the acoustic guitar because she, she's, she's a superhero. She's like a mother of four and she teaches jazzercise and homeschools her kids. And she also decided to just learn guitar and join a bluegrass band too. Wow. And <laughs> so, you know, she's like, Sarah, just like, here, learn a few car- chords, like sit down, just do it. So she kind of got me to do it. She's like, here's a song, learn the song. You know, like she, she has all these traditional songs that she learns that are just a few, a few chords and they're great. Um, and so she kind of really opened my mind to that idea where I've always been like very techy and progressive minded and, you know, into odd time signatures and all that stuff. Um, and putting weird chords together and changing keys. And she kind of opened my mind to like, Hey, like really, you know, the, the Bob Dylan truth, like you just need, like, what do you say? Three chords in the truth, two chords in the truth. I can't remember. Um, but she opened my mind to that idea and, and that reality. Um, and it's refreshing because it's very, it's very humble. You have to take your mind out of it. You just kind of have to feel, you just have to be real and simple. Um, and it's a, a really beautiful place to go to because you kind of remove expectations. You take your, you take your intellect out of it, um, which I think everyone should learn how to do. Um, and I also think for me and my own personal development, humility is really kind of the most important thing right now. And, um, doing something on a stage that I'm not very good at, uh, I'm trying to be good cause I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to give a bad performance. Right, you know? I'm exactly. doing my best to be good, but it's just, it just happens to be something, you know, I'm, I, if you don't start that stuff when you're pretty young, it's kind of hard to get, to get really graceful at playing the acoustic guitar and singing. Um, and if you don't practice a lot, you know, and I do so many things, I just, I can't practice that much. So anyway, excuses, all excuses aside, um, it's something that I am, I'm moderately okay at. The, the only thing that I have to offer with uh, live acoustic solo performances is honesty. Um, so that's kind of, uh, in one sense, it's removing a mask or perhaps it's just putting on another mask, but it's a, it's a humbling experience and also freeing at the same time. I mean, just showing up at a gig with an acoustic guitar and a little amp, little miniature amp is like amazing. After years of hauling gear. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that. So what was the first, I mean, the reason why I'm asking this is like, I always, always like in the, like it's some bucket list thing for me too, to do that. And you know, part of me is like, Oh, everyone's going to know how terrible like guitar playing I am and how my voice sucks (laughs) and and how I need to be, have distortion on all the time. And like, you're right. Like that is like, so what was the first gig like? Like, you know, what was the setting? Oh, Oh my God. Oh, so it was actually, it was really, it was really funny and, and strange. So I got invited to play, um, in a cave in the Angeles national forest. And um, my friend Joy Shannon invited me. She's this amazing uh, harp player and singer. She kind of does like medieval style um, mm-hmm. songs. And she invited Black Mare to play in this cave. 
And I was like, oh, it's going to be really hard. You know, acoustically, I don't think it's going to sound good. Oh, yeah, and definitely. I had been, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had been working on this acoustic set and not really knowing what to do with it or if I ever was going to do anything with it. But I, at that time, I was like, well, that would kind of be the best thing to do in a cave would be an acoustic set of the things I have to offer musically. And she really wanted me to play. And uh, I wanted to play with her and I wanted to play in a cave. I mean, that just sounds cool. You know, how many opportunities are you going to get to play in a cave? Um, and so I said I would do my acoustic set there. And uh, so that's what I did. And that was, that was several months ago now. It was maybe like four months. I don't know, I'm really bad at the time. But um, so I did my acoustic set to, it was strange. Like, none, no, my God, nobody, maybe one fan of mine came, but because you had to trek. <laughs> People in L.A., God bless them. They're kind of kind of lazy. That's like New York. Um, <laughs> New York's the same way. I mean, you can't even get people oh, really? to go from from like borough to borough to see shows and stuff. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just like they like to stay in their little comfortable places and their venues that they they're familiar with. You know, it's like in the little scene, the little subculture. Um, and so this was a this was unfamiliar territory. The, the bands were strange and different. It was kind of, it was kind of like pagan scene i would oh, say okay that's cool uh, yeah kind of kind of a pagan scene um and there was like this lady who's like a high priestess lady that, that's what she calls herself and she has like a, a little cult following and she has an acoustic band of uh, women um and so that was kind of like the world that i was in so i didn't really know anyone there and there was probably like 30 people in this cave and I'd never played acoustic before. Um, and everyone, so there's like a, this thing that happens with all, with all of my bands. And I don't know why, but what happens is people just are silent. They're, they're very silent. They're very stoic. They don't have large reactions. And I used to be like, I'm like, do they even like it? Like, are they listening? You know, it's like playing, and, it's like playing in Germany, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, totally. But it literally, it happens everywhere. Like it it happened in Las Vegas with Black Mare. And it's just like, I don't know. It's like the thing, I don't know. It's like the thing that, uh, it's like the reaction that my music has on people. It just makes them be still. I don't know why that is. But so that's what, that's the, apparently the acoustic thing does the same thing. It's like a chemical reaction. I don't don't even know how to explain it. And so everyone is really still and like quiet. And so in between songs, like (laughs) it was really quiet. And I was like, are you guys, are you guys cool? Like, are you guys listening? You know? And then they would like, they would clap a little so it was like it was incredibly intimate because I was like ten feet away from like these thirty people that yeah. I had no idea who they were. They nobody had heard any of these songs before because they were all brand new songs. Um, but after the fact, you know, people said that they really enjoyed it. Um, they had certain songs that they liked, blah blah blah. So I, I guess it was good. It was very strange, a very strange experience. So. Um, it was cool though. My favorite part actually was warming up which was like, there was two sides of the cave because it was actually a tunnel. And so um, when I was warming up, I went to like the the darker side of the cave where people weren't hanging out. Everybody was hanging out on one side. And when I was warming up, there were actually all these bats that were flying around. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was so Damn. cool. This is so, like, uh, was... <laughs> it's like you're in a cave, there's a tunnel. Was it, what, what did they do for lighting? Was it like torch lit? There's so like bats this flying? Guy brought, 
Well, this guy, he's called Photon Oasis, and he he sets up um, shows at all these different places. Um, and he brings a generator, and he sets up lighting, and he brings, like, a video projector, and he always has video projected. Um, he's really cool. God bless him. He puts so much work into carrying all this gear up by himself. Um, and he was actually, this guy Photon Oasis, he was inspired by the ghost ship fires. Um, and by the fact, you know, the, I think probably most people in the underground world know what that is, but it's where that warehouse burned down in Oakland mm-hmm. and um, was underground music scene. Uh, and so he was inspired by the fact that, yeah, there's not really a lot of places for independent experimental musicians to play. You know, most of them end up getting shut down. So he decided how to figure out um, a... Uh, a roving venue. So basically he takes his setup of light and sound gear to different outdoor places. Um, and try, he tries to do something every month, I think. Um, but yeah, so he, and he does all different kinds of music. There's no one kind, one genre pretty wide open. That's pretty cool. Um, it's, Oh my God, it's awesome. It's really cool. But you know what? It's so funny because I'm like, Oh, LA people are lazy. I'm totally one of them. I haven't gotten to any of them. (laughs) One that I played. So, Oh my God, it's cold outside. What am I going to (laughs) do? So so anyway, that's where I played my first show. My second show was super strange too. Um, It was at this last minute um, benefit for the Malibu fires. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a random assortment of um, musicians. My friend who has a band called Patriarchy put it together. Um, she pulled together me, um, this woman, uh, Christina, who does King Woman. She has a new project called Nightcrawler. Um, and then a couple of others that I wasn't familiar with, mostly. So, oh, and my friend Iffy, who is fo- who's foie gras. Um, so, and then a couple of others, and it was a bunch of random styles pulled together at kind of the last minute. My friend Tamron was DJing. It's kind of like a big carnival pagan party again, because the, the um, format was like kind of the Saturnalian celebration. Um, and so it was funny. Everyone wanted to like dance and party at this event. And I had my, it was so Twin Peaks. I came in with my, my solo acoustic set and there were probably, you know, 15, 20 people paying close attention in the front. And then there was like a room full of people that were just talking. They wanted to have fun. Like they wanted to dance. They're like, who is this weird acoustic <laughs> singer, songwriter? <laughs> so, so that was good. That was, it was, you know, like I said, it was humility. A big part of the acoustic thing for me is about humility. So it was great to like not be paid attention to and to just experience that, you know, it's a new polarity I haven't experienced because usually I've really fine tuned the the audience, the venue and the the scene that I'm in. And this acoustic uh, thing doesn't really have a home. Um, Are you planning to do any recording like that? Like any like acoustic recordings? Like that would, you know, be, well, you know, I think I'd be interested in hearing that because everything else that you do is like very textured and layered and there's all this other like technology involved in that. Yeah, totally. Um, that is a thing I am open to. Um, and again, with the organic process, I'm, I'm being very yin about it, it and allowing it to go the way that it wants to go. Um, so, you know, if, if someone is interested in recording it 
then I I would do it. I honestly don't think for most of the things I've done, I think that I, I have the means to, to do it well mm-hmm. um, because it's everything I've done so far is so layered and like, you know, luxury is very electronic. So I very comfortable in that realm with the minimalist acoustic vibe. I just, I think I would need like a real studio or something for that. I don't think I'd want to do it by myself. Yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, you'd have to get, you know, definitely have a, a, a good setting to do that in. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know what that is yet. It, it hasn't, it hasn't shown up on my radar. Um, so I'm open to it. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I feel like it'll probably end up getting recorded eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned yeah. that there was this uh, pagan vibe at this um, this cave show that you did. Now, yeah, question I have for you as someone who's you know been involved in the occult for a long time, this new yeah. sort of explosion or um, interest in paganism and the occult and you know witchcraft and all that stuff that's been happening over the last several years. Like, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I have so many thoughts on it. Um, I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's positive in a lot of senses because it's an avenue, um, where people can enrich their experience in life and personally engage in, um, ritual and something that has a psycho spiritual element to it. Um, it tends to have a kind of holistic feeling of reconnecting yourself to the earth, which I think is important with the advent of technology that we live in and the fact that so many of us spend so much time interfacing with technology uh, rather than the earth from which all technology came, you know, like, uh, like our phones are just like a bunch of rocks and stuff mm-hmm. mined from the depths of the earth turned into this technological force. So I think it's positive in, in that sense, um, that it reconnects people to something. I, I do see, um, the element of it that I see as potentially negative is like, there's kind of almost like a, to me, a backwards, element where it's like wanting to go back in time. It's idealizing something from the past. Um, when you get really deep into just like traditional witchcraft, it kind of has like this medieval feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the pagan scene has that too, um, where they kind of want to go return to the forest, you know, return to the cave, which is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to, to explore and do. And, are relevant in our human experience. Um, but I think I like the idea of seeing how um, that kind of pagan Wiccan scene could integrate technology beyond playing D and D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? I don't know what that means, but um, on a, on a deeper level, I think also, I mean, something I think about too is, uh, in a society like where everything is so depersonalized and that yeah. there seems to be a lot of chaos, like there's a lot of things that are out of our hands, uh, you know, for yeah. example, you know, politics, you know, world right. politics, like the economy, these kinds of things that to have some sector of your life where you can meditate on something with intention and that may 
cause like a positive change in your life. I think that might be some reason why so many people are turning to like the occult and witchcraft and things like that. Yeah. Yes. I, I completely agree a hundred percent. And I think that, I think that all forms of, um, what would you call it? I, I mean, it's not, it's not religion. It's, um, it's like uh, a spiritual practice or like a belief system or, you know, something like yeah. that, you know, I hate the word spiritual because yeah. it makes me think of like patchouli and like, uh, you know, um, right. You know, right. Stuff like and that, I know it. You know? But, yeah. And it alienates a lot of people. It's hard to talk about it in a way that that's not alienating somebody, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think that all, all of the practices that integrate personal work, uh, in expanding one's consciousness, which I think certainly is paganism, the pagan scene, Wicca, ritual magic, high magic, Buddhism, um, you know, any of those, any of those sort of, um, structures that integrate, uh, um, practices which connect one with higher self, higher awareness and lower awareness as well. Mm -hmm. Both are equally important. Um, I think that those are good for the individual and for humanity at large and uh, essential um, where one is able to act as their own uh, act and find and integrate their own inner deity as the supreme being of uh, this reality. I think that's, that's pretty important. Yeah. Um, you know, there definitely the, has been a huge upswing. I mean, just you see it like in media, you know what I mean? And, and even, yeah. you know, even, even more, even more like kind of commercial things like, you know, American horror story and things like that. There's yeah. know, Sabrina, the teenage witch or whatever. There's like, there's, yeah. this, there's this thing that's entering mainstream society that has to do with, with these occult, occult practices. You know what I mean? It's true. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, my God, when there was, like, um, oh, my gosh, what was that movement? It was connected with the Me Too movement um, where this, like, this, like, witch group in New York, in, like, Brooklyn, they said they were going to put a curse on this politician. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? It was madness. Okay, this is, like, the shadow aspect of yeah. it that terrifies me about, um, like, everyone getting, <laughs> like, everyone, the masses getting a hold of, witchcraft and ritual magic and paganism and stuff like that. Um, because if you get a hold of it and you're doing it from an ego basis, like anything, it's going to be terrible. It's going to end up being a weapon, you know? Um, and what it, what it ultimately, what all these things should be the you know, the pagan path as well and, and witchcraft and stuff like that, they should be a doorway to self, you know, a doorway to infinity, a doorway to build a foundation based on something that is, ultimately benefic for oneself and for humankind. And I think that's what, what they ultimately can be. Um, but you really got to do the, the ego work and the transcending the ego work for them to work in that way, which is hard to do in a toxic culture that doesn't really necessarily support that. Yeah, no, definitely. Just speaking real briefly about that sort of, you know, the cursing and this kind of uh, darker aspects of it. I mean, one of the things that I think is dangerous about these ideas of, oh yeah, we're going to put a curse on somebody is, I mean, you can observe, and I'm not going to name any names or anything because I, 
I don't want to be really out of turn with any of this stuff, but in, in like, there are practitioners in that people know of that have bought, you know, their records by these certain people that bad things have befallen them because of a darker path that they might've taken. You know what I mean? Right. And, right. And I do believe that that sort of energetic, you know, that, that sort of follows you around if you, I mean, and it's not even like necessarily a magical thing. It's like a mindset. It's like, if you dwell on these like darker ideas, that sort of colors yeah. your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can absolutely. extrapolate that into like whatever belief system you want. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Your thoughts, your thoughts are very powerful and essentially magic is, um, a pathway, you know, it's like a levy, um, for your thoughts. And if your thoughts are all in the, say, say you start out as, um, in a victim kind of consciousness, a martyr consciousness. And, um, ultimately what you want is, is power or, you know, you want to, you want to show them or you want to, um, do some sort of retribution so then then you understand once you channel your thoughts and you enter into this levy of magical consciousness whatever it may be you know you can you can summon demons and it works because it's all basically a gathering of a certain kind of of thought um which is power and which is what creates our conscious reality so if you're gathering all these thoughts of sort of maybe vindication, for instance, um, all of these, all of your thoughts are going to sort of coalesce with all the thoughts throughout time and space that have gone into that magical tradition that you may have maybe working with um, in order to fulfill and carry out that task of say, in this case, for instance, this made up thing I'm doing like vindication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put, you put all that energy into it and, and energy is energy, energy, energy doesn't care, but energy does find a balance. So if you put all of that sort of hateful energy, ego energy into controlling the will of another person or entity or place, you know, it's all just going to come right back to you because it's just kind of these currents of energy that we exist within. Um, and so you have to be really careful, you know. If you if you get into to magic of any sort, you're going to be amplifying whatever current you are in, whatever your perception is. If it's negativity, if it's death, um, death isn't necessarily negativity, but if you're amplifying the current of death, you're going to find yourself in a lot of death, you know? Yep. And, and even I did that with death magic mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was, that was necessary. Um, but I, I went, I went, I went into the very depths of death in my own soul, which was reflected in events, circumstances around me. Um, and that ultimately was the impetus to enter what is, because I think all artists are magicians, essentially. Um, and all artists enter a magical current when they create, you know, the muses, for instance. It's very much like a magical current that is, is channeled down through the highest conscious sphere into the, the earth plane. Um, and so I very much think going into the depths of the death current of magic um, ended up being the impetus to go to the greatest heights of the sort of solar consciousness, which is 
it was just luxury. But yeah, ultimately, I think with all the magic stuff that's coming back, um, even with like high magic is becoming more accessible to the general um, population as well with a lot of new books that are being published on yeah, it. Yeah, there's Damien um, Eccles' new book that just came out uh, a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, which is, which, you know, at first I was like, well, God damn, that is scary. Like, <laughs> everybody is just, like, cause, you know, I've, I've practiced um, uh, some of what he lays out, maps out in, in that book, and all I can say about it is that, you know, he points out that this is not dangerous, magic's not bad, magic's not dark. When he first said that, I was like, whoa, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, yeah, actually, he's right, because magic is just, uh, magic is like a machine that you wrap around your psyche, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you put yourself in the machine of magic, what magic will do is absolutely reveal any shadow aspects of yourself that you're not aware of. Um, and so it can feel like magic is really dark if you start practicing it and you have not sorted through the deepest, darkest corners of your soul, which most of us have not. Um, and so, you know, my own experience with magic is, holy crap, it can like, it can almost destroy you. You can, it can make you lose your mind for sure. Um, but also it can be something that if you stick with it, it can make you lose your mind. And we all need to actually lose our mind to become free and to become liberated. You know, our mind is very much a trap. It's the mind you find yourself in as an adult is something that's been indoctrinated, indoctrinated into you from society. And so it's important to lose your mind to some degree and magic can help you do that. Um, and then a lot of times when people start to lose their mind with magic, they will, they will leave magic. But what I found is that it can also be sort of the saving grace as far as an architecture, which takes you through the dark night of your soul. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My so, experience with it. Anyway. Now that, um, what's, what's like, uh, of the, where, where can everyone find you? Like out here on the internet, you know, you got all these, um, projects going on. You got like black mare you got now you have luxury uh where yeah where can we find all this great music and stuff like what what's the so what's all the, of the it so there? yeah so um luxury is the newest so it's only on all i have for luxury is Bandcamp, and i have that video and have it i do have an instagram which is um mx luxury mm-hmm. uh and then black mare like instagram is actually the best place where i'll update everything that i'm doing goes on black mirror so that has like updates about luxury any other things i collaborate on i do on um black mirror the black mirror okay um and then all my music you know black man horseman starting at the beginning um black mare eyes of gemini um all of that is on spotify and itunes and all of the the standard um platforms yeah, we didn't even talk about all that other stuff. It's like I had, I had I know. stuff on here. I, like, I had all this other, you know, this, I'm like, oh, we got to talk about Black Meth Horseman. We got to talk about all that stuff. Right. But that, that right. was like the first, like, you know, sort of thing I knew that you, you were involved with was that band, you know? Yeah, that was my first, uh, that was my first official band that actually put out a full album. Yeah. And I've, I've come to meet yeah. most of the guys in that band because they played, they played with, uh, with Mike Gallagher in, in, uh, in, in his, uh, uh, mustard gas and roses group oh yeah 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Sash and Brian. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I'll, I I take I take behind the scenes credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> Executive production. <laughs> yes, it's my whole production. I I I put them all together. And of course, Ides of Gemini with my good friend uh, Jay Bennett, and um, and that's yep, that's yep. on uh, Neurot, right? A lot of most of that yeah, material. Yeah, I talked. Um, talk, yes, um, and Jay, I talked to him recently. He said hi, by the way. Oh, great! Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I need, I need yeah. to text him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you would love that. Um, so yeah, Ides of Gemini is on Neurot. And uh, what yeah. about uh, other platforms like Facebook or, you know, you do any, they have, uh, you know, pages or oh, anything yeah. like that? Uh, yeah. I, I, the Gemini and Black Mare on Facebook. Um, not Luxury's not on there yet, but eventually I'm trying to avoid yet another thing to maintain. Yeah, it could be, it could be cumbersome at times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, but, um, but Black Mare and I uh, are, um, and then you know, Black Myth Person is just kind of a uh, a tomb at the moment. Yeah, so. it's an archive, if you will. Yeah. It's an archive. It's an archive, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are my those are the main ones. Well, thanks for uh, you know making this happen. I appreciate the early hour that we're doing this. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on a weekend. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. And that's all we got this yeah, week. Yeah, thanks for being here. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and this is the Metal Matters Podcast. You can find us weekly on the web, iOS, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Also check out the Gimme Radio app for exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and one of the best metal communities on the internet.